Last week, uh, I launched a brief teaching series called Refuge. Uh, Refuge is a term used by our psalmists and prophets in scripture uh, to refer to God. Uh, He's a refuge in our times of trouble. We're using refuge to help us see that God is a refuge even as we face uh, challenges in life, among them mental health challenges. And so this is a series really geared towards helping us see how we can live faithfully for Jesus even in the midst of uh, mental health challenges. If you weren't with us last week, I would encourage you uh, to go back and to listen or to watch uh, the message that launched the series. You can find it on our YouTube page, our website. Um, I think you can even download the podcast if you want on Android or, or iOS um, and get caught up. Here's what I know. As a pastor and as a preacher, I would love it if every time you miss a Sunday, you listen in. Not because it helps me, but because I believe in the power of his word and teaching. But here's what I know, is that that often doesn't happen. And so if I could encourage you uh, to, to check that out, I think it'll help lay an even greater foundation for you as we hit this middle week of our series, Refuge, and as we move into the final week uh, next week, because I kind of lay the groundwork. As I think about the idea of a refuge, the refuge is, is kind of a universal symbol of hope and preservation and safety. We have even in our own country, we have wildlife uh, refuges that provide a place of safety, uh, a place where people can thrive. Uh, not people, really, uh, I guess that's your wildlife, where animals can thrive and, uh, and, and, and be preserved. When, when someone's out and they're lost in the wilderness, oftentimes as they're telling their story on the news, they will talk about at some point when there were adverse weather conditions or it was night or they felt unsafe, how they found a refuge. They, they found a place, a cave, uh, an outcropping of rocks, uh, some trees that had kind of all fallen in the same place. And when they found that refuge, there was hope. We, we think about uh, people who are moving from war-torn places, uh, whether that's places that have been ravaged like Syria, um, Iraq, or even maybe what's happening in Myanmar. And they look to find a place of refuge, a place where they can be safe, where their lives can be preserved, where they can be well. It's a symbol of hope. We even use the term to talk about our homes sometimes. It's a really busy season in many of your lives. Kids are moving towards the end of the school year. There are athletic competitions that are kind of coming to their peak. And uh, and, and, and when you're trying to balance all of that as a a parent, as a grandparent, when you're the student trying to figure out the finals and the the competitions, when all that stuff's happening, it can be overwhelming. We, We talk about coming back to our home and it can be a place of refuge. It's a place where we can just come in and it seems like sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes the concerns out there don't creep into in here. In the same way when the psalmist and the prophets talk about God being our refuge, they're speaking about him being a a place, a source of hope, a place where we can find our well-being and our life and our perspective and, and, and just incredible hope in God. So as we look at mental health challenges, I want you to understand that God is that hope. He, he is that refuge for you and for me as we navigate mental health challenges that, that are varied in their scope and their duration and their severity. But God is a refuge in all of those things. So if God is a refuge, 
um, for us. And if we know, this is the foundation from last week, that we are redeeming refuge. That was last week's theme. Redeeming means to buy back. It means to restore what was lost. What we're trying to do is put mental health challenges back in the conversation of our physical challenge to normalize the fact that in a fallen world that, if, that, that, that experiences the effects of the brokenness caused by sin, both globally and more personally, that mental health challenges are a part of that. Our minds are part of our bodies, and we know that our bodies are affected because of the fall. The reason why there are diseases and stuff. We laid all this out last week is, is because of sin in some regard, and, and the mind is affected in the same way. If we can redeem that back and say, okay, God knows that's part of our human experience. There will be suffering physically, including the mind in this world. Then, then he can provide refuge for us and hope in the midst of that, knowing that's part of human experience in this uh, troubling age. So if we know that about God, then how can we seek that refuge? What can we do intentionally to, to experience that hope? What can you and I do intentionally to, to really uh, experience God as our refuge? And so what I hope to do this morning is to share with you uh, some really practical, straightforward ways that we can seek refuge. We see these identified in scripture either explicitly um, through definitive words or more indirectly through the example we see uh, in, in scripture. I want you to think though first about your, your story. What mental health challenges have you faced personally? What mental health challenges are you facing right now? What, what storms are happening uh, in, in your mind and how you process the events of the world and the things around you? What are those that you love experiencing? I shared last week that I'd be transparent about some of my own journey with mental health and some of my own challenges. Something that many of you um, who know me well know about me is that I align kind of with uh, the mentality of someone who, I like to use the word reformer. Um, the Enneagram would say it's a perfectionist, but I prefer the term reformer. Uh, I, I would be, if you're an Enneagram person, I tend to identify with a one wing nine. And so the reformer, the perfectionist, and the peacemaker. My experience as a reformer or perfectionist is that I often just look at things and I can't help it. I tend to see how I think, be careful of my own pride, how I think they might be better. But in my experience as a reformer is that the harshest words are never for other people. They're for myself. My harshest criticisms aren't for what you're doing or what they're doing. It's for what I should have done or could have done or been better at. And for me, my mental health storms start to form when I've had these thoughts that are pretty critical. And then even if they're not true, when those are voiced by somebody else, and that's like confirmation for me, even if it's not true. And, and the storm clouds start to form. And there are times when I can't stop the storm clouds from forming and I get into this self-defeating, self, uh, this despairing cycle. And on a couple of occasions, I've needed to reach out to a professional mental health counselor or therapist to help me. Once in 2007, 2008, and this year in March and April of 2021, I just got to a place where 
the things I was thinking inside, I felt like, and maybe even I heard were happening outside, and I just couldn't stop it. And so I would seek God through his word, and he would tell me what was true, but I just wouldn't let it sink in. And I would seek godly counsel, and I just, it wouldn't sink in. And so if it wasn't for the help of my new therapist, Kent, I don't know how I would have gotten there. And he helped remind me of what God says about me. And he pointed me to the truth in his word. And it was deeply beneficial and deeply helpful to me on my journey in enduring my own mental health challenge. That's my storm. I don't know what yours is. You may be in a storm of a depressive disorder an anxiety disorder, a post-traumatic stress disorder, a psychotic disorder, a personality disorder, an eating disorder, a mood disorder. You may be having your own mental health challenge. Here's what I do know, even though I don't know what your mental health challenge is, is that the storm that you're in is the most difficult storm because that's the one you're living in. That's what's real to you. And so how can we seek refuge in the midst of those challenges? And if you're not in the storm right now, and, and I do wholeheartedly believe that all of us Uh, bear some weight of the fall in all of our thinking. There's just a scale of severity. Um, What can you do when it comes for you? Uh, Bad boys, bad boys. That's the ADD brain, sorry. (laughs) What can you do when that happens to you? And uh, what can you do when it happens to someone that you love? So here's, here's what I know from scripture. I know that as a follower of Jesus, if we're going to seek refuge in God, we have to understand and appreciate the importance of spiritual disciplines. Last week I shared that um, one of the harshest things that have been said in the church related to mental health challenges is when we don't listen very well to people and we just tell them they should have prayed more or read the Bible more. That is harmful because sometimes uh, we need more. But that's not to say that reading the Bible and praying and other spiritual disciplines is unimportant. In fact, in the life of a disciple, it's incredibly important. Spiritual disciplines are those habits, those practices that you and I engage in intentionally that we see reflected in scripture that help us stay in tune with what our Father wants for us, our God wants for us, and help us be formed more into the likeness of Christ. We uphold Christ as the the picture of what it really means to be human, what we should be uh, living like. And as we practice and engage in these spiritual disciplines, they help us be formed more into the character of Christ. Why is that important as we face our mental health challenges? John 10.10. Jesus is visiting with the Pharisees. Um, He's talking about his sheep. And he's challenging them and he's revealing to them that that he's a good shepherd and that they're kind of missing the boat and leading the sheep of Israel astray. And when they're not getting it, he uses this strong statement in John 10, 10. You likely know it if you've been around the church for very long. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So as Jesus teaches, he sees these Pharisees who are leading people astray, yet he knows what God wants for his people. Now in this moment, the Pharisees are acting as thieves. They're they're robbing the people of Israel of what should be their experience as followers of God. 
But what we know is that the Pharisees are just manifestations in that age of what we see in every age, that the enemy himself, Satan, the devil, the father of lies, the great accuser, has a way of robbing us of the good things of God in this world. And yet, Jesus came for us to have life in the full. So we have this juxtaposition, this contrast. This is what is ours in Christ, this fullness of life, a restoration of Eden, and yet there's one opposed to us trying to rob and to steal and to destroy. So spiritual disciplines are significant in that they help us stay in tune with what is true, with what is good, with what God desires when someone else is waging war against us. Probably the most popular spiritual discipline is, is reading the word of God, studying the Bible, and rightfully so. Uh, we fundamentally believe at Lebanon Christian Church and so many across the world believe that these truly are the words of God given through the power of the Spirit uh, to men and women uh, throughout history. And they continue to proclaim the truth of God's kingdom and the truth about us to us. Psalm 119 is a beautiful psalm. It is a treasure. It is the longest of the psalms. The whole psalm is about the great and vast worth and magnitude of God's word. In that psalm, here's the interesting thing. The psalmist is probably only looking back and reflecting upon what we call the law. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And yet he can write hundreds of poetic lines about the power of God's word with only having those five at his disposal. How much more should you and I see the beauty and the power and the magnitude of God's word when we don't just have Genesis through Deuteronomy, we have the books of history, we have the prophets, we have the Psalms, we have the gospels that introduce us to Jesus and tell us who he is and what he desires for us. We have the book of Acts and the early story of the church. We have the letters of Paul and the letters of John and the letters of Peter and we have Jude's brief letter and we have the beautiful reflection and vision that, that John saw in Revelation. How much more shall we see the magnitude of God's word and truth and what it declares about us? I wanna show you something that God's word declares about itself. Psalm 119, verse 92. I think you'll see why this is important as we encounter our own mental health challenges. The psalmist writes, if your law that word means teaching, your instruction. God, if your law, if God, if your teaching, if your instruction had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. God, if your, if your teachings had not been my source of joy, if they'd not been my pleasure, if I'd not been running to them because they were a delight to me, then what would have happened? I would have perished in my affliction. I would have died. I would have been destroyed in my hardship. But what is it that brought perspective? What is it that served as an anchor in the storm? The word of God. Why? Because it reminds us of what's true. There's a science behind how many times an advertiser tries to get their message in front of you. Uh, you, you see advertisements on Facebook and Twitter and uh, advertisements on, on the stuff you're watching on Hulu and YouTube and you see them on the side of the interstate and you, you, you see them in the things that you read. 
You're inundated with messages day after day after day that can tell you a whole source, a whole, whole grouping of, of things that they want you to think are true. And we need God's word to remind us of what really is true. God's word tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139. God's word tells us that you and I were created in his image. In the image of God, he created us, male and female, Genesis 1, verse 27. God's word tells us that we are known by God. Man, when you face a mental health challenge, one of the greatest things that happens is you begin to lose your sense of self-worth and how you feel. And when you can know that the creator of the universe knows you and loves you, Psalm 8, verse four, the psalmist asked the questions, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? The son of man, that you care for them. In Hebrew poetry, that's called parallelism. Two lines worded differently mean the same thing. What are human beings that you're mindful of them? And what are, what's the son of man or what are human beings that you actually care for us? That's a great question, isn't it? That the creator of the universe is mindful of you. He knows you. He cares for you. What tells us that God loves us? The word of God. From the beginning, uh, when he creates us in his image to when he declares that uh, he is loving and gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. When in John three sixteen, the beloved disciple reflects on Jesus and his life and he says, this is the deal. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It proclaims God's love for you. And then as John reflects again later in his life and he writes the letters to people, uh, he writes these words that, that God is love. And this is what love is. It's not that we love God first but that he loved us first. What else tells us that? And that's why the spiritual discipline of the word is so important because in the onslaught of thoughts that want to tell you that you are less than, that you are, you are nothing, the word of God says, no, this is who you are. It's the power of the word of God. But it was just not the word of God as a discipline. It, prayer as a discipline helps us. We, we shared last week in looking at Psalm 31, Psalm 94, that, that the Psalms are okay with people praying and being anxious and anguished at the same time. Why can't the body of Christ in America be okay with people facing mental health challenges, feeling the brokenness of sin in their physical bodies and yet being able to pray? We have the example of Jesus who while it was still early, got up and went to a quiet place to pray. He knew the power of talking with his God and the perspective that that brought. And yet we see even in Jesus incredible raw honesty in his prayers, whether it's the prayer for unity among his disciples in John, what, 14, 15, 16, 17, or, or, or the raw prayer from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we can be honest and open and vulnerable as we speak to the Father, he's able to remind us of the truth of who he is and who we are. And it's not just prayer. Uh, another spiritual discipline, rest. Can I just ask a question? 
how many messages, how many books, how many seminars, how many articles we have to read on the importance of rest, both from a medical perspective and from God's perspective, until we as Americans finally swallow our pride and actually rest? I mean, if you've been around the church for a long time, how many times have you heard that? And yet we just kind of dismiss this as that's for another day or someone else's life. But yet when you look at the perfect creator of the universe, what does it tell us? Day one, he creates. Day two, he creates. Day three, he creates. Four, five, six, he creates. Day six is pretty important because that's when human beings come into existence. I kind of like that day. But what happens on day seven? He what? He rested. When God is, is, is mapping out for his people as they are moving into the wilderness to move towards the promised land, he says, hey, here's the skeleton. Here's what I think life underneath my rule should look like. What does he say? I think it's commandment number four to honor the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. When Jesus is challenged in regards to the Sabbath, he says, listen, um, man was not created for the Sabbath. Man's not made to serve the Sabbath. But Sabbath is made for who? For us. Intentional rest. Did you know that even outside of a faith perspective on mental health, that if you read in mental health journals and books, they advocate for the importance of slowing the pace of life for the mental well-being of Americans. And yet we ignore it at our own peril. Is it any, is it any coincidence that Psalm 46, verse one, of my favorite verses, it talks about God as a refuge. He's a refuge in strength in times of trouble. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, that God is still, is still there and with us that if you just fast forward nine verses down to Psalm 46, verse 10, that it says these words. Cease striving and know that I am God. Or as some of you memorized it as a child, be still and know that I am God. Is it, is it any coincidence that God is our refuge and to experience that we must be still? And the list could go on and on. There's evidence that suggests this is even, again, outside of faith influence. Uh, people that don't care anything for the things of God will tell you the importance of serving other people when you're hurting. And we know that this spiritual discipline of serving other people helps us have a different perspective even when we're hurting. The spiritual disciplines have a way of planting and watering and growing the seed of faith within us that helps us be reminded of what's true when everything going on in here says this isn't true. And there are times when you can do all of that and yet you still have trouble believing and accepting that for yourself. And that's why I think for followers of Jesus, it's important to be vulnerable and open with godly counselors. Again, we see this example in scripture. Um, I'll just take, I think one of the, the coolest is uh, Timothy. So Timothy's leading the church in Ephesus. Uh, Paul helped Timothy come to Christ. Paul, this great apostle of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes to Timothy as he's leading this church in Ephesus that has its own problems. And he encourages him. He provides godly counsel to Timothy. And through some of the things we say, we know there must be another side to that story. Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. What does that probably mean? Well, there were people looking down on Timothy. He tells them to fight the good fight. Well, why would Paul have to encourage him to fight the good fight if he wasn't fighting anything? There's, there's this godly counsel that comes from Paul. We see that example. Jesus, what did he do on occasion after occasion after occasion with the disciples? 
He encouraged them. He counseled them when they saw something that wasn't as it should have been. He said, listen, this is the perspective. It's in response to what the disciples are experiencing. He says, hey, guys, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. There's some counsel. But even if you don't like the anecdotal evidence that we see of, of, of counsel in scripture, look at the words of Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22. Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but because of many advisors, they succeed. There's something that happens when we have people who are godly speaking into our lives. As you navigate mental health challenges, it's important not just to be practicing spiritual disciplines, but to be open and honest with people who care deeply for you and even more importantly, care deeply for God because they can speak into your hurt. They can encourage you when you need encouragement. They can also correct you when they, they hear this negative thoughts and the things that aren't right cycling through. This may be a friend. It may be a family member. Uh, it may be a trusted adult from your youth. It may be a trusted uh, uh, you know, uh, coworker that you know follows Jesus. It may be reaching out to your elder or one of your elders or one of your pastors. It may be opening up to your life group. One of the powerful things we see in scripture, we like to think in America that we're so smart, like let's have small group ministries, let's have people get in small groups. I hope you understand that this is not an American thing. Uh, this is a church history thing. You go back all the way to Acts and you see the early church meeting in temple courts, large groups, and house to house small groups. And it was in the intimacy of those small groups in living rooms and on patios around the table that people could share life with each other. And in those contexts, they could wrestle with truth, whether they were believing it or following it, and people could speak into their lives. Many people at Lebanon Christian Church have found incredible hope and refuge by having a life group that they trust. And that when they're having a mental health challenge or another challenge that People are there to encourage them, remind them of the words that God has to say about them. But even then, sometimes, although you're reading and praying and striving to honor God, and although godly people are saying, hey, you know, this is true about you, sometimes that's still not enough. And that's when we need to be open and honest about seeking the help of godly mental health professionals. There, there is what I think is a, just a really unfortunate feeling in, in many conservative parts of the church in our nation that seeking the help of a licensed mental health professional um, is not good. If you look at the list of spiritual gifts in scripture, there's three or four places we have those. In those lists, there are different things in every list which to me kind of communicates that they're not exhaustive lists. But even if they were exhaustive, even if you could just compile everyone, end up with your 13 or 14 spiritual gifts, you know among them are leading, encouraging, mercy, pastoring or shepherding, and wisdom. A godly counselor, what do they do? Don't they help you by leading you, providing wisdom, by shepherding, by encouraging, by showing mercy. We are okay with people learning more and more about the liver, learning more and more about the pancreas, learning more and more about your digestive system. And, and we'll listen to all the things that they're learning as they study the science. 
When will we start learning from people who are studying our mind? When will we start learning from them? And the beauty of a godly mental health professional is that they care about you and your journey with Jesus, but they also care about your mind. And they're willing to help speak and ask questions. Like, I was reading the word of God in March and April. I knew what God had to say about me, but it, wouldn't, it just wouldn't lock in. I had my wife and I had friends who were saying, Craig, this isn't true. Like, you should feel this way. And it just wasn't locking in. But when I went to Kent, my new therapist, he was able to say, Craig, and he asked questions and he helped me unlock the truth of, of what was going on. I don't know where I would be without that. Well, you and I turn when we need it or when someone else is loving enough to tell us they think we need it to seek the help of a loving and godly professional mental health expert. Here's an added benefit of going to a licensed mental health expert is they're gonna know when to refer you on for special treatment special therapies and or medications. And that's so important. About, what, 2007, 2008, um, I had been seeing uh, a counselor a few times. His name's Mike and was really helpful to me. Uh, I, I went and things were going better and I got to a place where I was just feeling really down and, and depressed and starting to have thoughts that I didn't like. And I called to get a hold of Mike and I said, hey, Mike, uh, I need to get in to see you. And he said, well, Craig, I don't have any openings. And so I went to talk to my friend. And, and my friend said, Craig, well, maybe, maybe you just need an antidepressant. And I was like, well, do you, have a, do you take antidepressants? Well, yeah, I do. You, you, should, you should ask your doctor for this kind. And so I asked my doctor for that kind of antidepressant. And he said, are you sure you want this? And I said, yeah, just give me a small dose. My friend says this helps him. So I filled the prescription and I went home. And I took it like he prescribed one day. I took it day two. Day one, I didn't feel anything. Day two, I felt like things were kind of a little bit out of control for me and uh, made a purchase that we'd now laugh about. Um, uh, I couldn't stop myself. We'd been talking about me getting a little scooter moped, which I know is comical to think of me riding that in and of itself. <laughs> but, but I went to this motorcycle shop and I couldn't stop myself from buying this scooter, seriously. I got home and Audrey was like, Craig, what did you do? And I'm like, I don't know, I just couldn't stop. And so she gets out the paperwork for this antidepressant. You know what one of the main side effects is? Impulsive buying. Day number three, I find myself on the phone with my sister walking around our subdivision and telling her how scared I was. Because the first time in my life I was wondering if I should even be living and I was contemplating taking my own life. And I laid in bed that night and Audrey prayed over me as we listened to a song because I didn't know what was going on. The next day I called my doctor. He said, you've only been on it three days. You're fine to stop. I called my counselor and I was like, dude, I gotta talk. And he's like, I wish you'd told me it was this bad. I would've talked to you right then. And, and he said, Craig, listen, I will tell you as your professional counselor, if I think you need to go see a psychiatrist or you need to go take medication, but please don't do it unless you have that advice. And so I share that with you because I think there's a place for special therapies. There's a place for medication. But if you go see a licensed mental health expert, they'll help you navigate that. And while we're on it, let's talk about special therapies and medication. 
There's a lie that's permeating the church, especially in North America, that to take medication for mental health is, is saying basically you don't trust in God. And that's super unfortunate. We have in scripture places where people used modern medicine in their day. It wouldn't be modern to us now. And it was used and God brought healing through it. If you don't believe me, look at 2 Kings chapter 20. Hezekiah and Isaiah. Isaiah is a pretty famous prophet, right? Hezekiah, one of the best kings to lead Israel. Hezekiah comes uh, to Isaiah. He's got boils and he hears that his life's gonna come to an end. He's gonna die. And he pleads that his life would be spared. And God speaks to Isaiah and he says, tell Hezekiah to go and get a poultice of figs. Get a hot mass of ground figs and put it on your boils. And Isaiah does that. And guess what happens? He's healed. Now we may be tempted to think, well, that's just a really cool story. God knows all the answers. Well, he does. But do you know as you study the ancient Near East that a poultice of figs was a common remedy for boils? So God uses something common that man had discovered to bring healing. I love the words of Matthew Stanford, who wrote this great book. He's a, he's a disciple of Jesus, also a neurologist. And, and here's what he writes in his book, Grace for the Afflicted. He says, in response to the question uh, that people ask or when people think that medication is a substitute for God's healing, here's what he says. Does the use of medication to treat a mental disorder show a lack of faith in the healing power of God? I would say this is no more the case than using insulin for diabetes minimizes God's sovereignty. How many of us benefit from other methods of medication and care? If we'll choose to redeem the refuge and see that our mental health is a part of our physical health and it's afflicted by the fall, then we'll be more open to receiving treatments like we do for the rest of our bodies, the rest of the parts of our body. The same you would for a torn muscle, a broken bone, uh, others form of disease. If we wanna seek refuge, if we wanna find the hope that God provides, it's going to come because we as disciples want to practice spiritual disciplines, to be reminded of the truth. And when that truth doesn't break through, we'll seek godly counsel and be vulnerable with people and they can help remind us of the truth. And when it's still not getting through, we will pick up the phone, we will send the email, we will ask for help and allow a licensed professional to help us. And if they recommend, because they care for us, a specialized therapy or medication, we will in prayer take that and follow, knowing that God can bring healing. Well, we seek refuge together. We, and I use the word we loosely, have put together a resource guide for you. The we actually is Kurt Alexander, our Care and Connections pastor, and Hannah Myers, one of our administrative assistants, worked to put together a resource. It's six pages long. Don't let that scare you. It's exhaustive, or as close as we can get to exhaustive, of places that can help you when it comes to mental health challenges. Uh, if you go to our main webpage and scroll down to Refuge, this name of this series, there's a link you can click. You can see that picture on the left up there. When you click that, it'll take you to a PDF file that you can either download or look at. And you'll find, I think it's alphabetized, uh, all kinds of different help uh, for you. 
I'd encourage you to take that, hold on to it, share it when necessary. If you're like, Craig, I'm not a digital person, good news for you, there are hard copies on both of the welcome centers in both of our lobbies. If we run out, if you'll just email us, uh, office at lebanonchristian.org, we'll make sure we have some more available to you. But let's, let's seek refuge together. Let's be advocates for one another. Uh, the final resource I wanna recommend is that many of our lives have been touched by someone who was so overwhelmed by despair or something that was going on that they felt like um, the best way out for themselves and others was to end their life. If, if that's part of your story, I cannot recommend more this book called Finding Your Way After the Suicide of Someone You Love. Uh, this has helped me and it has helped many people. Uh, I think I'll be sharing more of this story next week, but I got a Facebook message in March, April of last year and a man who I'd been friends with for a number of years and we just tried to be present with him in the midst of his own uh, mental health challenge, um, took his own life. It was pretty devastating for me to hear that because of how much we'd walked through with him. Um, but this resource from a faith perspective was deeply helpful. And you probably see the stats just like I do that the incidence of people um, committing suicide is, is only growing. And we need to be there to be near people and around people to help them when the despair gets too much or when someone they love experiences that. And so I cannot recommend more highly finding your way after the suicide of someone you love. I wanna end by showing you this picture. Um, this is above my parents' mantle uh, in their home. Uh, my mom loves it. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, on either side, you see the words to the famous hymn, it is well with my soul. Can we just all have a, have a moment of just commonality here? No matter the challenges you face, whether they're mental challenges, other physical challenges, relational challenges, can we just be honest, that isn't that the plea of about every human heart that we just want it to all be well with our soul? And yet I look to the middle and what does it remind me of? That God is that refuge. It will only be well with our soul as we find our refuge and seek our refuge in him. So do whatever it takes to seek that refuge. If for you, you're on the preventative side of, of mental health challenges, I mean, just start those disciplines. If you're starting to feel the storm clouds form, get back into his word. If the storm clouds are at a level that you're like, I'm not sure I can navigate this, then seek some godly counsel. Send the email, make the phone call to the professional counselor. And let's seek refuge together so it can be well with our souls. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for loving us enough to walk with us. We thank you for your word to remind us of who you are and whose we are and our place in your story. We thank you for gifting men and women with a gift to help us in times of crisis. Would you give us the courage to seek refuge in you would you give us the courage to just completely remove the stigma associated with mental health in our culture? Would you give us the courage to find our wholeness and our peace in you? 
And it's in your name we pray. The name of Jesus, the name above every name, who alone is our sufficiency. Amen.